it's already the end of January, which uh, it's kind of hard to believe. Grandma always said time goes faster the older you get. And uh, I think she was right. So I didn't want to let the month go by without congratulating those people who have decided to participate in the dry January uh, event, right? No booze, no alcohol for the month of January. And I was thinking about how did this become so popular? Because it certainly didn't exist when I drank at all. Um, it, it actually was kind of interesting because even though it's it's a month-long commitment to staying sober, it actually started uh, for you history buffs in 2013. So it's really only been around 10, 11 years uh, from a group called Alcohol Change in, in the UK. Um, now, there are some that say like it started really in 1942, um, Finland had their own kind of sober January. It had something to do, uh, to help with the war against the Soviet Union, but, uh, that, you know, way back. So in at least, we know 2013, it kind of took off in the UK, having people join and commit, um, to staying away from alcohol and kind of letting their body reset and, and heal from uh, the use of drinking. So when I looked it up, it was kind of interesting. Last year in 23, at least 175,000 people participated on the Alcohol Change UK website. That same year, about 15% of U.S. adults, which is actually about 260 million Americans, pledged uh, to practice dry January. That's a lot of people. That's that's 260 million Americans, and I have to I have to wonder what kind of hit the the alcohol companies um, take from people abstaining for the month. But, it, you know, it really got popular. Um, you know, we know that drinking has increased. We know that drinking really increased during the, the COVID uh, pandemic. Um, and it's actually, we also know that drinking is one of the uh, excessive drinking is proven to be one of the leading causes of preventable death in the United States. So I got to say, I don't know if dry January was around when I got sober, if I would have gotten sober. I have to say, I, I'm not sure. Um, it may have given me this false sense of accomplishment if I participated in dry January back in 1997, 98, um, that time frame when, when I got sober from drugs and alcohol, if I was able to go 31 days, I probably, I can't even say probably, I know for a fact that I would have believed that I had control of my drinking, that it didn't control me and that, uh, 
I wasn't an alcoholic and I could have just kept on doing what I was doing. I wholeheartedly in my gut believe that. I think it's really important, however, to talk about there are those people who can drink and there are so many benefits to taking a month off from um, from drinking, right? Putting it away for 31 days, laying it down, um, letting your body kind of heal and reset itself. We know that it helps uh, our mind. It helps our emotions. Quite frankly, right, the kidneys, the liver, all of our internal organs, there's so many um, health benefits to people who participate in, in dry January that it's definitely worth this commitment to do this kind of short-term behavior modification uh, and to become just much more conscientious of how you drink, what you drink, where you drink, because that's really a, a positive about this idea of dry January. It's for those who aren't alcoholics, it's not something you really think about, I don't think. I mean, being an alcoholic, I would think about it, but having friends who aren't and talking with them, it's not something that they normally think about. If they want to have a cocktail while they're out to dinner, they do. Um, and they have one. And if they want to have a glass of wine with the girls, they do. And they may have a couple glasses. But they're able to flip that switch in their head and stop. Hell, there may even be a girls weekend where you drink a little too much. But then you might not drink again for another week or so. And it's not a challenge for you to abstain. Um, it's not an obsession in your head. See, for us alcoholics, we can't do that. I say us alcoholics. So I am not the sp spokesperson for every person with addiction, but I do know my addiction and I do know the people I've worked with in all of these years who struggle with addiction. And that's the sneaky thing about alcohol and drugs is that it can sneak up on us, it could knock on the door, it could tempt us, and we focus on it. And we can't have just one. Now, maybe for a little while, right? I know uh, when I was in my late 20s, I was abstaining from alcohol. And I knew I didn't want to drink. I knew I didn't want to be like the family members I had who were alcoholics. I knew that um, when I drank, bad things happened. Not real bad things. Well, yeah, bad things happened, right? I'd go to work. I wouldn't be my best. I, Lord knows I probably smelled like booze. Uh, I was really unhealthy. I, you know, wouldn't sleep well. I will certainly wouldn't pay bills or uh, be what's considered a responsible adult. And quite frankly, I would flash various parts of my body um, in various public settings, such as McDonald's, when uh, I had a little too much in me and I thought it was funny to, to do those kind of things. So when I had moved down to Florida, uh, I considered myself sober and I considered myself someone who 
couldn't drink. I, I wasn't doing 12-step programs or anything like that. I was just simply looking at the consequences to my decisions in drinking and then realizing if I didn't drink, these negative consequences wouldn't happen. So I go down to Florida. I guess I was down there in March. And I think by July, maybe August, I had a drink. Nobody down there knew me. Um, I wasn't a part of any community. And it's the silliest thing in the world because a restaurant that I did some work for, were able, they were able to secure a loan or something stupid so that they can expand the dining room or something dumb. Um, I worked in the kitchen. And the two women owners were celebrating that they got the approval for this loan. And they pulled out a, a bottle of champagne. And they invited me to have a toast with them and the other workers at this restaurant. And I said, yes. And you know what? That was it. Um, I maintained for a little while. But uh, I'll fast forward. And Heidi, I know you're probably listening. Um, my buddy Heidi will tell you, <laughs> will tell you, I went from having a sip of uh, champagne to toast my bosses getting a, a loan to pretty much <laughs> being buck naked in front of an air conditioner with my feet up on the windowsill, holding a puke pot, singing the ABC song. Um, Heidi was there. God love you. Um, so yeah, it, it didn't happen overnight, but it certainly that's that's where I ended up. And don't get me wrong, I didn't quit drinking at that point in time. Um, at that point in time, I just figured ah, I had too much to drink tonight and, and I'm out of drinking shape. So I kind of digressed a little bit, but my point is, if you can go through dry January and you did not obsess about alcohol, Maybe you were able to not make check marks on your calendar. Um, you didn't really have to think about, you know, ordering when you went out. My guess is that you're probably not dealing with alcoholism. There were no negative consequences uh, when you drank. Uh, you know, everyone's got their own rock bottoms. But my guess is if you are not, an alcoholic. Dry January is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, it's changed a lot of lives. I also know too, in a way, dry January has helped people look at their drinking patterns and say, holy shit, we got a problem here, Batman. Um, I know a handful of people who say, you know what? Dry January was a lot, lot harder than I thought it was going to be. So maybe I need to look at my drinking behaviors, what emotions I drink over, um, how difficult it was for me not to have a drink when I came home, how difficult it was for me to be out. And if, there, if you're one of those people who kind of struggled with this whole idea of staying away from from alcohol during dry January, then maybe that's something you need to look a, a little more closely at in your own drinking behaviors. So really, I, I think dry January is a great thing. 
for the average person. I, I think it's it's a wonderful way to uh, to reset. What people don't realize, I've talked with some folks. They said, "Oh, I've just I've been craving sugar." Uh, I got through dry January, but I put on about 10 pounds. They listen, that's not uncommon. Alcohol gets processed as sugar. So when you start to abstain from alcohol, uh, you're going to crave sweets and chocolate and pure sugar. Because uh, that's what alcohol does to your body, really, when you think about it. Um, and listen, and I say this with, with seriousness. Alcohol detox is the most dangerous detox that you could go through. I've worked with heroin addicts, meth heads, people who are addicted to cocaine, people who are addicted to a facet of drugs. But the one that can kill you if you detox without medical supervision, if you're a real heavy drinker, that's alcohol because your body can go into seizures. So even though it is promoted, dry January, and I know it has its definite positive uh, results and it helps a lot of people, I think you need to be aware doing it, you could be at risk. Doing it may also help you realize that you do have a problem. And I'm going to go on the record as saying alcoholism and drug addiction is completely different for women than men. And I don't mean completely different in the sense of us drinking differently. Our bodies process it differently. We drink, I think, again, my opinion, uh, similar but different reasons. And I also wanna say for women who are alcoholics, we get treated more poorly with less support. Um, maybe not less support. We get looked upon differently. How's that? We're viewed upon differently from people because of our obsession with drugs and alcohol. Because the obsession with drugs and alcohol don't walk hand in hand with all of the caretaking and, and motherly or daughterly or female duties that go along with um, with being a woman. So I mentioned that I believe alcoholism is different for women than men, without a doubt. Right, but it's not just on the surface. There are other major differences that, uh, you know, if you're sober curious, if you're looking to get sober, or even if you just are, are completing the, the accomplishment of a dry January, right? There's biological differences for women compared to men. As women, we metabolize alcohol differently. Since we have a higher proportion of body fat, and lower water content than men, right? The concentration of the blood alcohol is higher. And that can leave us uh, more vulnerable to the negative effects of, of alcohol. Health-wise, you know, there's consequences that affect women more rapidly than men. So for example, liver disease and cardiovascular problems 
related to using alcohol progress more quickly in women. Honestly, in my years of work too, I have watched many a woman who has had the gastric bypass surgery end up dealing with alcoholism. Um, There's a couple pieces there, in in my opinion. Um, There's the biological, but there is also the uh, behavioral and the addiction, right? The food addiction turns to alcohol. There's also this huge social stigma. And for women, you know, we face this societal judgment that goes along with being an alcoholic. We are supposed to have these traditional gender roles of caretaker, mom, daughter, uh, wife, partner. So in this unspoken assumption, we are supposed to do the food shopping, cook the meals, do the dishes, take care of the kids, do the laundry, get the kids to practice, go to our own jobs, keep the house clean, yada, yada, yada. So when a woman says, I'm an alcoholic and I need help, the world, I believe, doesn't look at her as Hooray for you, you realized your disease has taken over and let's get you some help. We quietly in our brain think, but what about the kids? What about home? What about your husband or partner? Right, I'll give you a quick example. If a guy gets stopped for a DUI, people will talk about him being an alcoholic. And they may even rationalize the DUI, that it's not his fault. He was at the bar with his friends. But now if a woman gets stopped for a DUI, it's what kind of of lady is she? Were the kids with her? Right? We, We judge her completely differently based on the gender roles that we assign to men and women, specifically when it comes to alcoholism. So we almost have to kind of check in with ourselves on these unspoken assumptions that we have. Bottom line is this, it's a disease. And I'm not saying go to AA. I'm not saying go to a smart recovery class. What I'm saying is do what you got to do if you've discovered you are dealing with alcoholism, drinking too much, or if you're sober curious after this dry January. Realistically, too, a lot of women have other risk factors that aren't often considered. Very often, women have past traumas. There's a family history of alcoholism. There may be mental health issues. And I believe, most importantly, it's the hormonal changes that we go through as women, through our life and through menopause, that are also going to have an effect on our use of alcohol and the ways we cope and stress with the the emotions that go along with that. But you know, I want to share strength and hope with you about these this these two resilient she's that I I know through the years, two resilient women. One is in her early 60s and really struggled when she turned around 40, divorce, her best friend passed away. And when I met her, she honestly, I don't think she could string together a a month of being sober. 
in and out of rehab, DUI in the past, struggled with with 12-step meetings. And then finally one day I said to her, she had lost her job. That was her rock bottom at this time, the embarrassment of of losing. And it wasn't, you know, it, it was a job at a local drugstore. And I suggested, listen, your only job is to stay sober, period. She was really lucky. She didn't have to have a job. She was able financially to, to take time off in her life and do some deep work in her recovery. And God, am I proud of this resilient she. This woman, I think we've got five years now under her belt. She was brave enough to say, I'm an alcoholic. I did this shitty stuff, but I'm not going to beat myself up over it. And I'm going to do what I need to do every day to make sure that my disease doesn't take over. Listen, it's really no different than being a diabetic and knowing you can't eat sugar, right? The work is the deep focus on doing everything you can in your life to not pick up a drink or drugs. And I'll always say end drugs, right? Because I don't, like I said earlier, I don't care if it's alcohol, if it's cocaine, marijuana, heroin, fentanyl, whatever, whatever. If you are ready to become clean and sober, your only job is to not use. So what that looks like is getting up, cleaning yourself up, eating healthy. It means throwing some exercise and movement into your day. I'm a firm believer in the 12-step AA program. If you're not, that's okay. But you need to be around people like yourself whether that's an AA group, a smart recovery group, whatever is out there that you feel you fit into. You might need to go to that meeting two or three times on a bad day. It doesn't matter. Your only job is to commit to yourself that you are not going to use. And by God, I love this woman. She has strung together, I believe it's over five years. And I have another amazing woman who, uh, God, she must have 10 or more years by now. Ladies, if you're listening, I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't remember the exact years you have uh, achieved. But this other beautiful woman, um, honestly, when I met her, she had attempted suicide. She had her wrists bandaged and she just said, I am tired. I am. I'm tired and I need to do it different. And she was probably in her 40s when that happened as well. Maybe a little younger. Uh, happy to say for her, boy, oh boy. Now she doesn't go to meetings anymore, but she did exactly the same thing. She focused on her only job being to stay clean and sober. And she created for what it looked like for her. And in both of these cases, and actually in all the cases I've worked with and myself, right? You have to put everything out of your way especially in the beginning. Honestly, when I first got sober uh, back in 98 in Florida, left my job, I was a housekeeper. I was a housekeeper at a resort. I was probably the most <laughs> educated housekeeper. I scrubbed toilets. I made beds, um, vacuumed. What was even like funnier was that it was a gay resort. So some of the things I would find um, was was rather humorous. 
my point being, I started over. These women started over. There's different things we have to consider as women who are sober curious or have discovered they have an addiction issue. And we have to be sure we get the treatment that is tailored to our own needs, right? We respond differently to medications. We respond differently to therapeutic interventions. Maybe we're dealing with issues like pregnancy and childcare. Maybe you're a single mom. God forbid you're a single mom and come out as an alcoholic. People will look at your past and make judgment on everything you did up to that point. Right? There are some barriers like that, that fear of the judgment, the impact on, on the family role. Are my kids going to be taken away if I put myself into treatment or if I start acknowledging that I have a problem with substances? So as we wind up today's episode, again, I encourage you, if you have attempted dry January. Congratulations. You got a couple days left. If you don't have a drinking problem, if you are sober curious, or you realize that something is going on for you and you need to take a, a closer look at your own alcohol use, I encourage you to do what, what these women, these resilient she's that I shared about with you, they change their life around completely. It's doable. Along the journey, if you need my help, please reach out to me at resilientshe at hotmail.com. I'll be more than happy to point you in the right direction. I thank you for listening again this week. Stay well, and we'll talk soon. Hi, thanks again for listening to resilient she. And again, if you are struggling with substance use, unsure, if you're an alcoholic, sober curious, whatever the question may be, please feel free to reach out to me at resilientshe at hotmail.com. Also, if you have a topic you would like to see in one of our episodes, I welcome you to drop me a line. Again, the email is resilientshe at hotmail.com. Please remember, the information, thoughts, and opinions in this podcast are directly mine and are related to my years as a licensed clinical social worker and a substance abuse counselor, as well as a woman in sobriety. I will always say if you are having any thoughts of self-harm, or harming someone else, please don't hesitate. Go to the nearest emergency room. People there can help you. If you're in need of emotional support, please keep in mind Pound 988 is a US-wide program that will offer you emotional support through trained peer specialists. So again, thank you for listening to Resilient She, and we'll talk to you soon.